Blog Talk Radio. The opening music was by Save Vocal Group from the CD Native Angels by Save. You know, this is an awesome CD, and I highly recommend it. And it's many spiritual songs with Native American instruments and Gregorian chanting. You can reach it by uh, going to Save, S-A-V-A-E dot org. Or you can see, find them on Facebook, and as they also do live shows, and you can find their event list there. You can listen to them for free on YouTube. 
And also you can get your CD as I did on Amazon. Anyway, I'm your host, Reverend Charlotte McKenna. I'd like to welcome listeners to the Sacred Sunday. Sacred Sunday was created to find an open-minded platform that focuses on the tenant. The Sunday is a special day to set aside some time for spiritual focus, meditation, and prayer. All faiths are welcome. I'm a Christian in recovery, and all Bible readings will be out of the Ryrie Study Bible. And you may use any Bible you wish, of course. And, of course, there's also uh, online Bibles. Um, I've had many spiritual experiences that led me to be doing this Bible study and having um, and holding some worship time in the morning. It's it's just once a week, everybody, so let's just try to do it, and I'm going to keep doing it, too. We're just focused on being our real selves, showing up, and just having a little Bible study. Uh, let's see. Let's just do the opening prayer. Let's say together. Our Father, who art in heaven, hallowed be thy name. Kingdom come, thy will be done, on earth as it is in heaven. Give us this day our daily bread, and forgive us our trespasses as we forgive those who trespass against us. And lead us not into temptation, but deliver us from evil. For thine is the kingdom and the power and the glory forever and ever. Amen. In the name of the Father, Son, and the Holy Spirit. You know, every Sunday morning I pray, and here it is, it's a prayer I, re- I prayed last week. We pray for all Christians being persecuted worldwide, their freedom to worship and lives are in jeopardy. I say this every single morning, Sunday morning. Those whose lives are taken taken for distorted and evil reasons and they have now become martyrs. And we pray for all suffering from violence. You know that I pray that every Sunday morning. And what has happened is some terrorism and some horror movie type situation has happened by a terrorist group, 21 Eastern Orthodox martyrs, Christians, were beheaded, 21 all at the same time. For the horror of us all, they did it to hurt us, to hurt their families, and now we have a loss of all these young men. In honor of them, I'd like to read their names off this morning. Milad, Makim, Avnum, Ayan, Ataya, rest in peace, kind sir. Majid, Suleiman, Shihata, rest in peace. Yosef, Shokri, Yuknan, rest in peace, God loves you. Karadis, Sokri, Fazi, rest in peace. Mishoy Azafas Camel, rest in peace. Somali Mustafas Camel, his brother. God bless you. Our prayers go out to all your mothers. Remember him. Sin Weep, rest in peace. Tawandros Yosef, Tawandros, rest in peace, young sir. Gurgis Niladsen Wheat, another brother. God bless you. Mina Fayez Aziz, rest in peace. Hani Abdelmesh Salib, rest in peace. God bless you. Yeshui Adel Kalef, God bless you. Rest in peace. Samuel A.M. Wilson, 
God bless you and rest in peace. A worker from the Awar village, they don't have his name, but he's a Christian, Eastern Coptic Christian Orthodox person. They don't have his name, but God bless you. God knows your name. Isat Bishra Nasif, rest in peace. Lokwa Nagari, rest in peace. Gaber Munar Adeli, rest in peace. Eshem, brother Samar, rest in peace, young sir. Malik, Farag, Abram, rest in peace. And the 21st, Salmon, Salah, Farouk. I wish all of you young men that are already together in paradise. Thank you for your service, serving as martyrs here on earth. And I'm sorry that it was so horrible the way you ended, but I know you're in it with our Heavenly Father. I know that there's a place for martyrs in this world, and we don't know why, but we also know they have eternal life with our Heavenly Father, Jesus. We pray for all the suffering from violence in here at home and abroad. We pray also for those who are sick in mind and body, and those who are lonely and uncomforted. Forgive us, God, for our sins. We pray for the suffering from domestic violence in our own homes. We pray for freedom from addiction from all kinds. Please, God, send your Archangel Michael to fight against evil and protect everyone and all your angels to watch over everyone and fight the good fight. We also pray for the wisdom of our president and the rest of our policy makers. They may have many decisions to make, and we are praying for all the countries with problems of suffering from all over the world, those starving and those, you know, there's a lot of bad things happening on this planet. And we're praying for everyone, everyone to find some comfort somewhere. Thank you, God. We ask Jesus to bless us and help us grow under his care. And we pray also for everyone and their families. Everybody's in our prayers. Those are having a hard time and having difficulties and stress. And we pray for comfort and help in these times. We ask this in Jesus' name. Amen. Okay, so I have a birthday, special birthday wish to my friend Sheila Spar. Uh, happy birthday, everybody. And uh, Sheila, I hope you're having a wonderful day today, and God bless you. And I hope I hope you have a wonderful, prosperous year ahead. It goes for everybody else who has an awesome birthday today. And if you have a special prayer request or positive intention, you know, you can call me right now, 619-924-9744. And also for the Bible, for uh, to get your online Bible reading, so you don't really need a Bible at home, even though I think every house should have one, uh, go to www.biblegateway.com or www.bibli.com. Now, remember last week we're into Chapter 6. Yep, we're up to Romans Chapter 6 already. So uh, the Epistle to Romans is about Paul's travels, and he's trying to carry the word and the message and Paul being a, a, a Jewish person and a Roman also. He has had a lot of knocks, you know, and of course he used to be Saul, the persecutor of Christians. So he's getting his knocks now, but he's also carrying the word. So God's ways are mysterious, believe me. Okay, so let's just do the review of of what happened in chapter 6. So after all, Jesus did die to raise our sins, so we can just let him work it all out and we'd be done coveting our neighbor's wife over here. Uh, Paul said, no, if you're baptized in Christ, then you're baptized in his death. And what does that mean? 
It means that when you're baptized, you symbolically die and are reborn as a new person. That's because Jesus died and rose again. And when you die, you leave all your sin behind. Now you're fresh, new, and super holy. That's nice. You know, and you might still want to sin because people kind of like sinning, unfortunately, and we fall easy. Paul tells Christians they need to keep presenting themselves as a new person. So wake up as a new person every day. Don't go back on being the old person you were. Don't be a slave to sin. You know what? We're free because of Jesus. Since Jesus does go do away with Jewish law, not everyone has to follow it. Isn't sinning actually kind of fine? Come on, Paul says. This is time he's really rolling his eyes. You can only pick one. Either you want to serve sin or serve God. You can't do both. Besides, what sin has ever gotten you? A nice car, a good job, a hot girlfriend? Okay, but did sin ever get you eternal life with God? Well, we don't think so. Oh, friends, Paul says, the wages of sin is death. Why work hard to earn death when God is giving out eternal life for free through Jesus? Act now, even though the supplies are unlimited. And I want to thank you, Schmoop, S-H-M-O-O-P dot com for that little uh, uh, little <laughs> summary. Anyway, now we're going to go on to read Chapter 7 because that's what we do around here. We read our Bible and we're learning. We're learning every time we read it. I'm telling you, something new comes out of it. And I want to thank you, people that are listening in archives. I appreciate you so much because I know you're listening. And God bless you. And I, ha- I, I really want you to be happy and uh, healthy and learn to cope with whatever's happening in front of us. And, you know, we'll just all deal with this together. So let's go on to read Chapter 7. And God bless you. Chapter 7, Romans. Or do you not know, brethren, that I am speaking to those who know the law, that the law has jurisdiction over a person as long as he lives? For the married woman is bound by law to her husband while he is living. But if her husband dies, she is released from the law concerning the husband. So then, if while her husband is living, she is joined to another man, she shall be called an adulteress. But if her husband dies, she is free from the law, so that she is not an adulteress, though she is joined to another man. Therefore, my brethren, you also are made to die to the law, through the body of Christ, so that you may be joined to another, to him who has raised from the dead, in order that we might bear fruit for God. For while we are in this flesh, the sinful passions, which were aroused by the law, were at work in the members of our body to bear fruit for death. But now we have been released from the law, and having died, but to that for which we were bound, so that we serve in newness of the spirit and not in the oldness of the letter. That's great. I'm going to, that simplifies this whole thing. So let's read that again. But now we have been released from the law, having died to that which by which we were bound, so that we serve in newness of the spirit and not in the oldness of the letter. And what shall we say is the law sin? May it never be. On the other hand, I would not have come to know sin except through the law, for I would not have known about coveting if the law had not said, you shall not covet. But sin, taking the opportunity to the commandment, produced me coveting every kind, apart from the law, 
the law, sin is dead. I once was alive apart from the law, but when the commandment came, sin became alive and I died. And this commandment for which to result in life proved to result in death for me. For sin, taking an opportunity through the commandment, deceived me and through through that killed me. So then the law is holy and the commandment is holy and righteous and good. Is, okay, the title of this next part is, Is the Law a Cause of Death? 13. Therefore, did not which good become a cause of death for me? May it never be. Rather, it is sin, in order that it may be shown to be sin by effecting my death through which it, that which is good, so that through the commandment, sin would become utterly sinful. So we know that the law is spiritual, but I am of flesh, sold into bondage to sin. And then the next title, this next part is, How can I resolve the struggle within myself? For what I am doing, I do not understand, for I am not practicing what I would like to do. But I am doing the very thing I hate. Now, didn't St. Augustine of Confession say the same thing? Or in, in St. Augustine's Confession, St. Augustine said, for you see, I have found out what my problem is. And he said, my problem is myself. And then, But if we do the very thing I do not want to do, I agree with the law, confessing that the law is good. So now, no longer am I the one doing it, but sin which dwells in me. For I know that nothing good dwells in me, that is, in my flesh. For the willing is present in me, but the doing of the good is not. For the good that I want, I do not do, but I practice every evil that I do not want. But if I am doing the very thing I do not want, I am no longer the one doing it, but sin that dwells in me. Well, it's difficult. I find that the principle that evil is present in me and the one who wants to do good. For I joyfully concur with the law of God in the inner man. But I see a different law in the members of my body, waging war against the law of my mind and making me a prisoner of the law of sin, which is in my members. Wretched man that I am, who will set me free from the body of this death? Thanks be to God, to Jesus Christ our Lord. So then, on one hand, I myself with my mind am serving the law of God, but on the other, with my flesh to the law of sin. So that was seven, very powerful. Let's go back and read the notes. And so 7, 1 through 6, Paul introduces a new metaphor, that of a fruitful marriage. The Christian, because of his death with Christ, is free from his marriage to the law and is brought into a new marriage with Christ. The new union demands good living at its progeny. So 7, 1, know the law. Legal principles, not the Mosaic law here. 7.4. The believer who has died with Christ is released from bondage of the law and hence from the bondage of sin and is free to experience abundant life of Christ. And 7.5. While we were in the flesh, before we were saved. Okay, 7-8. through eight. Though the law is not itself sinful, it arouses sin in me. When Paul came to understand the meaning of the law, he realized that he was a sinner and worthy of death. Then the law is fundamentally good, but the result of the law is to bring into the open the power of sin. It is sin, not the law, that exposes it, deceives, and kills. 
Okay, so now we're up to 15 through 25. The intensely personal character of these verses, they really are. You know, it really impacted me when I was reading it. The intensely personal character of these verses and the use of the present tense indicate this was Paul's own experience as a believer. This is his diagnosis of what happens when one tries to be sanctified by keeping the law. You know, that's that's useless. We just all can't do this. That's why we have Jesus. Sin, which indwells in these. Who Paul was written in the Acts of Sin. Here he speaks of sin as a deposition deep in a man's life that produces these acts. Wow. Paul uses flesh in several ways. It denotes the personality of the man controlled by sin and directed to selfish pursuits rather than the service of God. And then it sometimes refers to to simply to the physical descent. It also stands for physical existence of a person, being in the body. There is no blame attached to the last two meanings of this this word. So uh, that was the last couple of words. Okay. 722, the unbeliever would not say this, further supporting the view that Paul is relating his experience as a believer. And then 724, the body dominated by sin endures a living death. So that's why as Christians we rely on our faith in Jesus Christ that he died for our sins and that we are forgiven and we're not held to a cold law that just keeps us sinning further because sin dwells in us and we we can't keep the law, we're just going to keep breaking it. And you know what, I think back and it seems true, the more laws we have, the more we break them and, you know, our our prisons and jails and institutions are stuffed and stuffed and stuffed for people to break the law. Anyway, so uh, let's go to our little book, and I'm going to read a little story. Uh, we're, we're moving through this fast. Okay. So Dream Big Dreams. This is by Doris Top in North Bend, Washington. So we're going to read her story before we conclude. Barbara Drennan still remembers a phone call on the spring morning in 1986 that would change her life. Miss Brendan, the woman on the other line, said, I'm from the Department of Social and Health Services. I know that you and your husband have had many foster children in your home, and I wonder if you're willing to help us out. How? Bess asked. We're seeing more and more drug-addicted babies born at the University of Washington Hospital and need someone to devise a program of care for them. Can you do that? Beth 20 was stunned. I've suspected that some of my babies and I, my husband take are drug-affected. She said, recently she has seen perplexing symptoms in babies placed in her home. The infants were anxious, couldn't sleep or eat, and cried uncontrollably. One trembled frantically as his little tiny arms shaking, his chin quivering, his body racked with severe tremors. I can care for these babies in my home, she told the social worker, but I can't design a program for them. Please think about, the worker pleaded, these poor infants are suffering need help. She talked to her husband, Ken, an engineer, about the phone call, then called her husband and her friend, oh, I mean, excuse me, and her friend, Barbara Richards, 52, to tell her. Barbara and her husband, Gary, a reservation clerk in the airline, also care for foster children, mostly neglected and abused children taken from their parents by social workers. The two couples care for almost 700 children in their home during their previous 20 years. All these poor babies, Barbara said, tears sliding down her cheeks. 
She needs something more than we can design. Years later, when she lived in the Midwest, Barbara started a center for medically fragile children, and she didn't want to fight the bureaucratic system again. But Barb and Barbara didn't forget the plea. During the next few weeks, they called each other frequently, called other foster parents in their small community of Kent, Washington, a Seattle suburb of 38,000 people. They found little help. Barbara wished she could just enjoy the comfortable two-story home and she'd supply the love babies put in her care. The social workers continued to call. Do you have room? We need more homes like yours and the foster parents know how to treat infants with drugs problems. Babies are dying from lack of care. Then she pleaded with, she was plagued with doubt. Why me, God, she prayed. I've never done anything like this. Barbara wrestled with similar questions and Barbara and Gary's fourth Natural children were grown, and the couple now had seven foster children in their home, whose ages range from seven months to 27 years. Barbara, Barbara and Ken's two natural children were grown, but they had two adopted children and were legal guardians to a boy with cerebral palsy. When the two drug-addicted babies died in foster home within months, Barbara telephoned Barb. We really need to do something, she said. I really, I'm ready to help, Barbara said. Later that evening, they sat at the table in Barbara's kitchen and wrote down all their questions and problems they faced. We would need to train nurses, find a building, raise money, and buy all extra equipment those babies need for round-the-clock care. She would have needed a doctor available at all times. Together, they outlined a facility that would provide care for addicted babies until they were healthy enough to be placed with a family. Because many drug abusers come from families who are devastated by their daughter's lifestyle, want to keep the family intact. The expectation was that most of the babies would find a home with family members. Barbara leaned forward and encouraged, when I think of the hurting babies out there, I know I have to give this all I got. It looks right, said Barb, grinning. We're just moms, but God prepared us for this, and I believe that we're the people out there who would like to help. God tapped us, and we better believe it for the babies. Barbara nodded and looked over the plan again. Doctors, nurses, social workers tried to create a program, but gave up and kept calling us. I didn't think we could do it, but here it is, designed by God. Barb's blue eyes shone through her glasses. And this won't be an institution where babies are warehoused. We'll move them back into the family and foster homes as soon as possible. During the next two years, their husbands provided $4,000 and cared for... Their husbands provided... $4,000 in care for the children at home while Barb and Barbara traveled across the country on and off attending classes, seminars, and visiting medical facilities. They worked with local doctors and hospitals, met with social service officials. As they, those steps, first steps, the ideas developed and were part of their plan. Finally, in May 1989, they took the proposal of the Department of, of and Social Services. They had asked for the help three years they had asked for their help three years earlier. In a meeting with the officials, the two women asked for two hundred thousand dollars to fund the program. At the end of the hour, convinced the babies would be warehoused and the officials rejected the proposal. Wow. The two women were stunned. Barb looked at Barbara, seated next to her in the meeting room, usually tough and composed and saw her chin quiver. Her shoulders sat sagged. We've lost. Now what do we do? They had struck out during the ride home. They were in shock. They couldn't talk. Barbara cried all night. What are we doing wrong? She called to God. 
why are we blundering towards something not meant to be? Is this the best answer to these babies? It seemed the end, but God had other plans. The next morning, the two conferred over coffee and then put their questions before God and listened. You brought us this far, Lord. It looks like the plan is dead. As they prayed, they began to realize that what had happened during the past three years, they meant doctors, nurses, social workers, even key legislatures, preparing for the the program. They realized that even though they didn't seem to have it worked out at all, God was behind working for good. Pieces began to fall into place. We're more than qualified to do this, Barbara said with a confident smile. They realized that their experience complemented each other's skill. Barbara, 30 years in caring for the severely handicapped children, and Barb's having worked with newborn and premature infants. There's nothing wrong. There's nothing... Excuse me for one minute. The pieces began to fall into place. Barb's having work. There's nothing wrong with this program, she said. Barbara said. It will work. As they talked, a new boldness grew within them. We've got to believe God's view that we can do this. Barbara sat back and still smiled. I don't feel afraid, Barb. We can do this. There was no turning back. They decided to put their plan directly to the state legislature and began preparing an even more comprehensive proposal. The woman put everything in writing, solicited letters of support from doctors, lawyers, social workers, nurses, foster parents, and hospital directors. They discovered shocking statistics that at the University of Washington Hospital, which has a special program for people with drug problems, 8 out of 10 babies were born drug-affected, compared to the national average of 10 babies. Okay, we're coming to the end, so we're going to pick this up and read it next time. And strangely enough, I did work for Harbor General Hospital, drug-exposed babies, so that's another way God has of speaking to us. Okay, so let's do our traditional uh, ending prayer. After a moment of silent meditation for those out there who are still suffering. God, Grant me the serenity to accept the things I cannot change, the courage to change the things I can, and the wisdom to know the difference. And we'll finish the story next week, and we'll see you next week. God bless you. Have a wonderful week ahead, and we'll pray for each other every day. Take care. Bye-bye.